Hello, and welcome to Keeping Innovation Alive, hosted by Bill Nottingham. Sit back and dive in with us as we speak with corporate innovators and founders that are driven to keep innovation alive. Advocating for small business and big hair, my next guest is nothing short of a true Renaissance woman. Carol Roth is a content creator, recovering investment banker, author of The War on Small Business, entrepreneur, C-level conciliary, TV pundit and host, small business expert, and the New York Times bestselling author of The Entrepreneur Equation. Clearly, Carol is a multitasker. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to be here with you, Bill, and thanks for the intro. I am very much a collector of experiences, and I like to be busy, as you can tell from the intro. So excited for our innovation discussion. I'm really looking forward to meeting someone that is also inspired by what they do and redefining what they do. Okay, so let's start. How have you been challenged with innovation in your role or roles? Well, I know we have a limited amount of time, so I'm going to pick one area where I think it's probably the biggest challenge. And perhaps somewhere in that long intro, you may have mentioned that one of the things I do is I am an outsourced chief customer officer for a collectible toy company. And I've been doing that for about 16 years. And part of the experience is delivering these very high-end, beautifully crafted collectibles to an international audience. There are two huge innovation challenges there that sort of meet in the middle. One is on the manufacturing side, as we have this you know, change in terms of what's going on overseas and capabilities and uh, you know, cost perspective. But the biggest challenge actually comes from the collector base because the times that we've tried to innovate and maybe make some of the hand-done processes easier, um, something like the face paint, using technology to maybe do part of it and then doing some hand painting over it, the perception from the collector is that that's cheapening the process. Oh my gosh, you're, you, you've, you've changed something that we're used to. This isn't the way we like it. And so therefore it is cheaper. And so a lot of times things that would have advanced and made it easier to actually get more product done and to make it less expensive or at least hold the price point you know, as inflation has taken hold has had incredible pushback from a community who's used to having something that is handcrafted and has a certain association of value with that. You really advocate for artisans. So, I, I mean, I agree with that um, to some extent, except for the fact that there is a high level of turnover in the so-called artisans overseas. So they have to be retrained on the process. And so, you know, you can tell when somebody is just, you know, come into the position and maybe a hairline is crooked or an eyelash is in place where it's supposed to be. And so it's not really the same as like an artisan you might think of from Louis Vuitton or, you know, some sort of atelier. It's just the particular process that the customer is used to. And really, I think your bottom line is it's an aversion to change. Because yeah, if yeah. you didn't tell them or someone didn't notice 
that, you know, this is, and, and by the way, they take a magnifying glass to it. I bet they do. Um, yeah. So, you know, things that you wouldn't necessarily see with the naked eye, you know, they're looking for, and there is that aversion because this is not what we agreed to. And there is that um, wanting to hold on to the past. And I think that's a challenge for everyone in innovation is that a lot of times people don't like change. Sometimes change is good and sometimes change is useless. Uh, in the case of manufacturing, it's often very helpful, but you have to have your customers go along on that journey. You do. And it's funny you say that because oftentimes, like I'm in technology and you're thinking, oh, we could get AI to fix that or we get technology and it's going to be so much better. You <laughs> know what's better is a normal watch that just like powers with your wrist movement. <laughs> I, so, so I have a plastic Nike watch that I wear. Oh, that's so everywhere. cool. Do you have it on? I don't have it on right now. Oh, I can show it to you later, but okay. it's just a piece of plastic and I'll have people come up to me and be like, Oh, that's so interesting. What does it do? And I like, it tells the time. It's this magical thing called time <laughs> yeah. that never ends forever. <laughs> like I don't need everything else in my life monitored. I just need to know what time it is. I love that. That's, that is hilarious. As much as I want to talk about inventing new time, we are running on time. We're out of time. <laughs> We're out of time. So, so the next question, here we go. What have you done to solve these challenges? In this particular case, um, you know, it's a, a difficult problem to solve. We are continually talking to different potential sources of manufacturing. Um, we are communicating and spending a lot of time polling collectors and trying to communicate with them to see if we can find a solution to that particular uh, manufacturing issue. And so far, I mean, and this is something I would say that's been going on a good six or seven years uh, because of the specifications. There has not been a lot of luck at a different price point. We could probably solve it but then you don't have any customers anymore. And because it is a niche product, it's something that's done in batches of, you know, a couple thousand to, you know, several thousand at a time, a lot of the manufacturing that has now moved in your arena to technology and chips and whatnot, doesn't want to do this high end uh, type of manufacturing, especially when you have a picky customer base that rejects a lot on, on quality control. Um, so it's just one of those things that it's very much top of mind. And throughout all my other facets of my business, I spent a lot of time going, how can we use technology better? And so if you take a step back and look at my entire role as a chief customer officer, we've actually been at the forefront of innovation in our communications. You know, we were doing webinars and streaming and email and for, before anybody else was doing that. So we push the technology envelope in ways that, you know, we communicate with the customers and the experience, but we haven't cracked it on the manufacturing side yet. You know, you got to come out with an Integrity Toys magnifying glass that comes with every every collectible. <laughs> I'm going to report that back um, like, to the collectors and to my team and they are going to find that like, very like, You want to <laughs> use it, you can use my magnifying glass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting. When you hear about somebody that does so many things, there's a theme that truly like, you know, brings it all together. And the thing is, you know, your, your war on small business, your, your, your concept around entrepreneur and, and the customer, 
it, it kind of all evolves around a, sim- a similar philosophy and almost uh, aids each other. Do you, do you feel like ideas that bounce off of each kind of come back and help? It, it is. It's incredible. Um, I always say that there is a symbiosis between all the things that I do that is not clear to anyone else, but is very clear in my brain. And a lot of the knowledge base, you know, even things like commenting on the economy you know, for people who've seen me on television before, um, you know, I find out about things like the supply chain or you know how much it costs to get a container, those issues by working with these small businesses and hearing from them firsthand. And so when I go back and I'm talking through sort of aggregate data, I can also pepper in these anecdotes. And then I can also take the information I'm getting and bring it back to the collector base to say things like, you know, it's not just integrity who's being affected by this. You know, here's all this news and data about these other companies who are being affected. So it is, um, in my world, very symbiotic. And it's certainly not something I would advise for everyone, but uh, it works in, in my level of craziness. We're having too much fun. And would you want to do anything else? I mean, honestly. So yes, there's one thing that I want to do that I've always wanted to do. And I, I will do it in some way, shape or form eventually. I just need to figure out what the right mechanism is. But I want to be a game show host. I've always wanted to be a game show host. I've had lots of discussions. I've hosted lots of shows. I've been a judge on a reality tech competition. But like, I want to continue to give away cash and prizes and banter with people who say silly things and make you know, fun of them in a nice, fun, loving way for entertainment purposes. And so that's the one thing that I haven't done kind of like full scale, like I've done it in speaking engagements and whatnot before uh, that I still haven't done yet. So stay tuned for Carol Roth, game show host. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm serious when I say this, you are going to be a game show host and I cannot wait to hear you give away your first prize. Thank you for joining our latest episode. We hope our discussion inspired you to keep innovation alive. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review. We hope you join us next time.